Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for our brothers and sisters leading us to the throne of grace. You are, Lord Jesus, our hope in life and death. We thank you for that testimony. And we do pray, come Lord Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be together tonight. We thank you for the, for the thing that brings us together as brothers and sisters. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be called children of God. And in that, we rejoice. We rejoice. We pray that, Lord, tonight you would, as Levi had prayed, that you'd remove the distractions from our minds for a little while here. We pray for those who join us online who cannot be with us. We pray your blessings upon them. We ask, Lord, that tonight you would help us to truly understand what it is you have for us in your word and that we might see how our Lord described the character of being a Christian, of being like Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the ministries that go on all across our campus tonight for all of our children, our students, and all the others that are meeting in various places. Thank you for the good, good work that you're doing among us here. And Heavenly Father, I pray, I pray, Lord, that for our church, we would be the kind of people that glorify you, that we would be pleasing in all of our ways to you. So bless now our time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good evening. Good to see all of you scattered. Ricky, it may need to come up a little bit more down here if you can. Um, you have an old pastor, and what can I say? He's having his limitations. If you don't have our outline, you'd like to have it. Thank you, brother. If you, if you don't have our outline, you can find it there in the middle of the, air, uh, the uh, table back here. And also... Those of you joining us online, may the Lord bless you. Also on the tables, on the chairs around, uh, these guest cards. And we do say, if you're a guest with us and we don't know you, we'd love for you to just fill this out and let us know about you. And we would love to talk to you and tell you more about the ministries of our church. So now we begin this very important journey in looking at the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. And to this group on Wednesday nights, this is not any thing that you're not very much aware of, and many of you have studied these things in detail. But we come to look at this, and we're talking about the character of the Christian life. What does, it, what does it look like to be like Jesus Christ? What does it look like to be a Christian? Well, let's just read these, uh, these wonderful words together, and then we'll begin to take them apart a little bit tonight as we focus on the blessed character of the poor in spirit. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and 
be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So our focus tonight is verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And our focal truth is this, that only the poor in spirit go to heaven. Only the poor in spirit go to heaven. I've said it in this way to try to perhaps uh, jostle us a little bit, remind us of this very important truth. How is it that the Lord speaks to us here about being poor in spirit, first of all, as a believer? Well, it's because it's the foundation stone. Notice again these qualities. These qualities describe the Christian life. The Christian is poor in spirit. The Christian mourns. The Christian is gentle. The Christian is uh, the, the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. The Christian is merciful. The Christian is pure in heart. The Christian is a peacemaker. The Christian is persecuted for righteousness' sake. So tonight we think about this wonderful truth that being poor in spirit is the essential characteristic of the Christian. It is no accident how the Lord laid these truths in order. The first and most important principle for us is this. Are we tonight those who are poor in spirit? Well, as I'm saying, another way, only the saved are poor in spirit. Only the saved are poor in spirit. And only the saved go to heaven. So this becomes essential for us all tonight. So I'm going to give you three elements of this and we'll walk through this tonight and, and just spend some time talking about it together. First of all, briefly, just what it does not mean to be poor in spirit. Second of all, we'll spend a lot of time in this next section. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And then why the poor in spirit go to heaven? My prayer is, is that you'll take these matters personally. Again, we have many testimonies in our own church of men and women who went to church all their lives who were lost and were not saved, who came to know Christ, some of them at uh, a later age in life. And so, I, I, again, as your pastor, I, you know, these, these things parallel together, but these days, Sunday is blessed assurance. We're talking about blessed assurance, even though right now we're talking about false assurance. Uh, that is the most dangerous thing is to live with false assurance when we're actually not saved. So I would say to you, this is important. Settle this in your mind. Be 100% certain that when you die, you go to heaven. Make that true and certain in your life so that whatever comes, whatever you face, whenever death comes your way, whenever the trials come, you'll be ready and you'll say, I'm ready, I'm ready to live, I'm ready to die but only the poor in spirit go to heaven. Not those who are knowledgeable of the Bible, not those who, oh, that's important. Not those who uh, do good deeds, though that's important. Not those who, um, who carry on in various kinds of religious activities or leaders in the church, all those things are important, but those who go to heaven are those who are poor in spirit. It does not mean to be poor financially. Some have said, well, this poor in spirit is the idea of just people who are poor, uh, that the poor will all go to heaven. That's poor people who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who are financially poor, will go to heaven. 
But just because you have financial poverty does not mean that you are poor in spirit. The second thing that I would mention to you is poverty of the poor in spirit are not those who have poverty in their spiritual life or they're, they're in bondage to their sin because you see, until you do something about your bondage to sin, you don't go to heaven. So yes, there is poverty, there is sadness, there is brokenness, there is ruin uh, in the life of all of us when we have no relationship to Christ and we're living in the bondage of sin. And the bondage of sin puts us in a def desperate condition but just the fact that we have bondage in our sin is not <clears throat> being poor in spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I'll highlight that in just a moment. Now, thirdly, uh, it is not poverty of, of uh, spirit to, or being poor in spirit to renounce worldly riches. We find all the way through the New Testament that Paul reminds it and talks to the rich, uh, saved, to be careful not to put their confidence in their wealth, but also to be rich in good works and to store up treasure in heaven by the way they live in, um, in sacrifice and good works in the name of Jesus Christ. So uh, this is not a renunciation of all rural religions and you have to take a vow of poverty or you're not saved. That's not what this is. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, let's go and see an example. It's best to look, and this is not on your outline, I've added it later, but I'd like for you to keep your finger there. And oh, By the way, I didn't want to mention, so all these words, blessed, blessed, blessed. We talked about living in our blessedness, and I hope you're living in the blessedness of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight in your life. I hope you're living in the blessedness of the Lord, truly. And I tried to expand on that, talk to you about that last week. My desire is uh, that in my life I would live in blessedness. And the blessedness of God only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation in His name. Praise God. And if I am saved, I'm a blessed one. And as a blessed one, I can live in my blessedness. Hallelujah. And I hope you're living in your blessedness. Not because you're a special person on your own. No, because you are now a special child of God. And as a child of God, oh, the blessedness of being blessed by God. Well, I don't want to go there. I'll get on that again. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Luke chapter 7 is where I'd like for you to find your place in your Bible. Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to read, uh, this is an extended section. There's just a story. But this is what it means to be poor in spirit. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse number 37. Excuse me. Uh, verse number 36. This is what it looks like to be poor in spirit. Now, uh, one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now that is poor in spirit. 
Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, the Pharisees, the Pharisees witnessed this entire action of this dear woman. The Pharisee who had invited him saw this and he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, <clears throat> but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those reclining at the table began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is, this is poverty of spirit. This is poverty. This is poor. This is being poor in spirit. It is not enough that we are caught in the bondage of our sin and trapped in it and we're dead in our sins and we just, there's deadness in our spiritual life. But there is when we come to know Jesus Christ, we come, the poor, as I've said here on your outline, the poor in spirit are destitute of any inward and outward comfort. They do not gain any comfort from their self-righteousness or self-assurance. They live rec recognizing and aware that they are a sinner. They are, they are aware of their sinfulness and this woman, she came and stood. How sweet this is. Here we are all these many years after this, as the Lord says in another of the Gospels of this account, we continue to speak of this woman to this very day. She stood behind him. She wept. She wet his feet with her tears. <clears throat> she kept wiping them with her hair and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. That, it, that it indeed is what it is to be poor in spirit. And I ask you tonight, is that the way you approach the Lord Jesus? Do you approach the Lord Jesus being poor in spirit, like this dear woman, coming and all she could do was weep and admit and say to the Lord, I am a great sinner. And what does the Lord do? The Lord forgives. You see, the poor in spirit have been forgiven of their sins, but they never get over their sinfulness. The poor in spirit have been forgiven of their sins, but they never get over their sinfulness. Some would say, oh, Pastor Mike, I have to get past my sinfulness. Oh, Pastor Mike, this has been the problem in the church. All we do is focus on sinfulness. This is what I was trying to say to you. What, how, did, how did our brother John, John the Apostle, our 
Our spiritual fathers say to us when he starts 1 John, as we're now starting on blessed assurance, he starts by talking about false assurance. And what's the first thing he says in chapter 1? I don't want to repeat all that. But if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. We are born into sin. We live in sin. Our sin nature is with us, even as saved people. But oh, the blessedness of being forgiven of sin so that I might see my sinfulness. The only reason why I get saved is because of my sinfulness. Amen. The only reason why I call out to God every day and I wake up and say I must do something about my, my behavior is because I see my sinfulness. You see, the poor in spirit are those who uh, know they are a sinner and they grieve for their sinfulness. So when Luke chapter 5, I won't go to the chapter, but... You've got that great, where the Lord tells Peter, they put down the nets and they catch all the fish. Who knew more about fishing than Peter? And the Lord said, put them down. They draw in all the fish. And what does Peter say? Look at this, it's here. I've written, written it down for you. You may have missed this about Peter. Peter expresses being poor in spirit. He fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, go away from me. I am a sinful man. He saw beyond the fish to the one who, who filled the nets with fish. And because he saw the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his majesty, he says, I am a sinful man. This woman bringing her, bottle, her perfume vial, I am a sinful woman. But as the Lord said about that woman, he said, her sins are many, but they've been forgiven. For she loved much. He who is forgiven little loves little. You see, when you're poor in spirit, this is why we love Jesus. We love Jesus because of how much He has forgiven us of our sins. And the longer you walk with God, the longer you walk with God, the more you see your sinfulness. The longer you walk with God, you see your unworthiness. The longer you walk with God, you see the wickedness that still lies there. What did, what did God say? We're going to talk about Cain on Sunday. I'm just reading this again. God said to Cain... Those strange words in Genesis. If you do well, you'll be all right. But the tiger is crouching at the door to jump on you. This is what sin does to us. The poor in spirit understand that there is no goodness in them. So now I want you to take your Bible and find the book of Romans. We'll go to Romans to fa some famous passages here. I'm taking us on this little journey so that we might see the pictures and the expressions of being poor in spirit that are found all through the Word of God. This is a famous section, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. We've looked at them in detail in past years here at the church together. Romans, so the poor in spirit understand that there's no goodness in them. Oh, what does the false, false assured wicked sinner say? Well, I'm okay the way I am. I don't need to change. I'll just face God the way I am, which is a terrifying thought for a lost man to say. What a terrifying thing to say. I'm going to face God the way I am. You know, you don't want to do that, my lost friend. You don't want to do that. So Paul here in Romans 7 elaborates on sin that still abides in us as believers and the condition and the dealing of sin. And he says in chapter 7, verse 18... 
Beginning in 14 through 24, he talks about this conflict now between the two natures that we have as believers. The old nature, the one we were born with, the sinful nature, and our new nature in Christ. Well, not to read through all of this together, but I want to just go down and I want you to see. Notice the language here. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. Verse number 19, for the good that I want, I do not do. This is now, this is our old sin nature. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. See, this is that sinful nature. I still have it as a believer. It's what I had before I was saved. It's what God saved me from. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. He goes down and says in verse number 23, I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my body. And here it is. Here's the statement of being poor in spirit. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? And yet there are those who would correct us today and say, oh, you don't want to talk like that about yourself. You're going to have a bad self-image if you talk about yourself like that. If you talk about yourself as a sinner, it's going to warp you. It's going to twist your mind. It's going to cause, no, actually telling yourself that you're good is going to warp you. Telling yourself that there is no sin in your life is going to deceive you. This is the danger of the world in which we live. The world says, you're not a sinner. Everything about you is good. Just do whatever you want to do. It's the lie of Satan. Has God said? Has God said? And he lies and he lies and the world lies. And then our flesh believes the lie. So the poor in spirit are those who understand that they are not good. I hope you have said in your life, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Yes, God has made us wonderfully. He has created us in the image of God, the glory and the majesty of being the, the, the crowning creation of all of the created things is glorious, but we are, oh my friends, we have a deceitful heart, we have sinfulness in us, and we have an old nature that must be dealt with every day. Amen. You see, the poor in spirit know that they wander away from God and disobey His Word. This is what he means here when he talks about these impulses. Uh, I see a different law in the members of my body waging war with the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin. The poor in spirit see nothing in themselves that is good, but cry for mercy to God. So now we go to this other famous passage, and I want us to study it for a moment together, and it's in Luke again, Luke chapter 18. I want you to find Luke 18 because now this is the language of the poor in spirit. <clears throat> Luke 18. So how would the Lord teach us as you're finding your place there, Luke chapter 18, and we begin reading here in just a moment in verse 9. So how would the Lord have us to pray? Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive my sin and forgive those who sin against me because I'm in a world of sin and I am a sinner. Either a lost sinner or a saved sinner. So, Luke chapter 18, verse number 9, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, now this is poor in spirit. This is poor in spirit. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself <clears throat> will be exalted. The poor in spirit see nothing in themselves that is good, but they cry for mercy. They cry for mercy. This man, look at, the, look at the pattern of being poor in spirit. He stood at a distance as if he was unwilling or could not approach God. He was not worthy. He didn't even raise his eyes toward heaven to pray, as was the custom of the Jews in the day to pray, looking upward. He was beating his chest and saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Well, I've given you these three qualities of the poor in spirit. They're humble. Poor in, being poor in spirit produces humility, or you may say very much, uh, it's, we're splitting hairs here, but being poor in spirit is to be humble. I have a verse for you from Isaiah 66.2, and I'd like for you to find your place there and turn to it. It's, a, it's an astounding verse. It's at the very end of the book of Isaiah, the last chapter of Isaiah. We'll come back to, we'll come back and, and I want to, now I'm pausing here on the poor in spirit are humble. Heaven is God's throne. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? Isaiah 66, 1. And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, that is heaven and earth. Thus all these things came into being declares the Lord. But to this one, but to this one, I will look. The glorious, sovereign, holy, creator, almighty God, who created all things through the Lord Jesus Christ, to, I've made all of these things, all of the created order, heaven and earth, all of it. But to this one, I will look. To him who is humble, and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. That is poor in spirit. That is poor in spirit. It is humility. Look, you cannot produce humility. Some have, I'm somewhat humored by this, some have the idea that 
uh, you know, sometimes people talk about people's personality. They say, well, he's just such a humble man. They're talking about his personality. You cannot humble yourself without the help of God. Once God shows you your sinfulness, you can humble yourself because you, you submit, you bow, you confess, you repent. But you see, humility is not a personality trait. So we have some that are boisterous and loud. Well, they must not be humble. That, that's ridiculous. You can be a loud person and be humble. You can be a quiet person and be proud. This is not about personality styles. So let's not put humility as a personality trait. No, humility, humility is that which, which we see here. Humility is this saying of Paul. I'm a wretched man. I'm in, I'm in a terrible condition and I know it. I know how terrible my condition is. The very day I start taking two steps forward to walk with God, then I take three back because sin invades and pulls me back down and I yield to temptation and I listen to the devil and I go back to the world. And there is such a conviction in our heart. We live with this conviction of our sinfulness. You see some in the world, the educated in the world, those who, are, uh, who, are, who, who would say, having this kind of psychological thinking would cause us to be crazy people. Actually, it's, it makes you quite sane to really have a real sense of who you really are. The problem is when you deceive yourself and think you're something you're not. No, we're sinners. And all of us in this room are capable of great sin. And though we are saved people, what do we see in Galatians 6? When you see a brother or sister caught in their sin, we restore them. Looking to ourselves because we can do the same thing. This is our challenge, isn't it? But the tax collector is, he's not able to raise his eyes to God. Some would say, well, you know, there are people who walk around and they always have their eyes down. Well, you can have your eyes down because of shame. Because of what you've done. Or you can have your eyes down because of hatred. You don't want to look at somebody because you don't like them. No, he's looking down. And his looking down is his shame for his sin. And his unworthiness before God. He looks down and he is mournful. He beats his chest. And as he beats his chest, we see here this man demonstrates his poor, his poverty of spirit. I've actually heard some preachers say, well, you need to get over your sinfulness. Get over your sinfulness. What kind of advice is that? Get over your sinfulness? Only as a saved sinner do I understand the glorious grace and riches of Jesus Christ. And the cross of Christ. This poor man, in, he, he also then begs God. The poor in spirit are beggars for God's mercy. I'm using this word specifically. We don't like the word beggar. But you know what the poor do? They beg. I said it down here below. The poor are always begging. And the poor in spirit are always begging for God's mercy. Could it be, this is why Paul the Apostle laid for us as we spent so much time in the book of Hebrews together, my dear friends, talking about the importance of approaching the throne of grace that you might find 
mercy and grace to help you in time of need. I go there always. I'm there today. I'll be there tomorrow. All the days of my life, I will continue to go and beg for mercy. Because I don't deserve it. Because it's given to me freely only through the grace of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, Philippians 3.9, I've given it to you. That I may be found in Him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Praise God. Imputed righteousness. It's given to me as a result of believing in Christ, not anything I've done. What did, what did David say, even as this great Old Testament saint, this prophet of God, against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil? Oh, did you see how this man confessed himself to God? Did you see the publican, how he, how he describes himself? You know, he's... He's unwilling to lift his eyes, verse 13 in Luke 18. He's beating his chest, and here's what he's saying. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Not a sinner. The sinner. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Was he just saying that to get a rise? Of course not. He was sincerely saying it because it, he never got over the fact that he stood there while they stoned Stephen. He consented to it. Who knows what other terrible things Paul did before he was saved to the believers in those early days. Who knows how he blasphemed against the Lord Jesus Christ, who had to speak directly to him because of his calling on the road to Damascus in the glorious light. He was shaken by it and he never got over it. He never got over being saved, but he never got over the fact that he was a saved sinner. Amen. And I pray in my life I will never get over being a saved sinner. For by grace are you saved. You see, God enriches the poor in spirit with His grace through the Holy Spirit. It just Now what happens to the poor in spirit? They are enriched by God through the Holy Spirit. And it just keeps coming. The riches of God. The riches of God. The glorious riches of God. Praise God. Why, finally, do the poor in spirit go to heaven? Well, as I said, being poor in spirit is the foundation of all other graces in the Christian life. And here we have in Matthew chapter 5 these graces. These characteristics of being a Christian. These are Christian graces, as the old timers would call it. So just let me build this for you. Unless you're poor in spirit, you, you will never mourn for your sin. Unless you're poor in spirit, you'll never be gentle. Unless you're poor in spirit, you will never hunger and thirst for righteousness. Unless you're poor in spirit, you'll never be merciful. Unless you're poor in spirit, you'll never be pure in heart. Unless you're poor in spirit, you'll never be peacemakers. Unless you're poor in spirit, you'll never experience persecution for righteousness. You see, this is the way it all builds. This is how I enter the kingdom of God. This is how I'm saved. This is the thing I must do first. I must bow and I must say, I am, a, I am the sinner. No one has sinned more than me. I am the sinner. 
I am the one. I have sinned. What did the dear boy do in the Lord's story, the parable, when he went back to his father? I will go back to my father and I will say, I have sinned. And he did. So I say, on the day I'm saved, forgive me of my sins. I have sinned. And I'm specific about it. You know, this is, this is important for me to elaborate just for a moment here. Please stay with me. You know, when we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, which is a remedy for our self-righteousness, we have to be specific in our confession. You need, look, you want to shock yourself about your sin? You tell God exactly, you tell Him specifically what you have done. I'm talking about you describe the event. You describe what it is you are sinning, how you sin. Say it out loud so you can hear it what you are confessing to God. It'll change the way you think about sin. So when I confess my sin, I don't just kind of go to the Lord, well, Lord, you know, forgive me. You know, hey, you know I'm already a sinner and kind of I'm a sinning, sinful guy. And I mean, you know, how to, you know, kind of halfway. No, the poor in spirit are broken by their sinfulness. They're saddened by it. They, they are destitute of any inward and outward comfort from anything else. They grieve over their sins. And they see no hope without the grace of God and the righteousness given to us in, through Christ, which produces real humility. When I know I don't have anything, it humbles me. You know, some of the old timers in this room, oh, you know, we, we heard it from our families and we've all experienced it. So, you know, you know, you didn't even have a pot to cook the chicken in. You were so poor. Poverty humbles. Poverty humbles. And so the poor in spirit are those who have been born again. The Lord Jesus said in John 3, 5, you know what John 3 is all about? Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And to be born again is to have, is to <laughs> come to the end of yourself and say, I am a sinner and I must be saved by a Savior and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we must help our friends with that we work with. This is what we must help our family members with who live in their own self-righteous self-assurance. And the poor in spirit are able to receive the grace of God. I've given you here what the Lord said about His own ministry in Luke 4 from Isaiah. You remember? He opened the scroll in his home synagogue, and he read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. But look at the last phrase, and to set free those who are oppressed. You see, that's what Jesus Christ did to us. Because we are oppressed and broken and in bondage to our sins, when he saved us, praise God, he set us free. He set us free, but we always remember our bondage. We never forget it. We think about it every day and we thank God. You see, what causes me to worship God is to see the sinfulness of my past and my potential for sin in the future. You see, being poor in spirit and living with poor poverty in your spirit will protect you from sin. 
you will say to yourself, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sin like that. I don't want to think like that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to do that. I want to walk with God. I want to live in the freedom of forgiveness. So the good news is, as we finish tonight, my dear friends, the poor in spirit are justified when they confess their sin. So what did the Lord say about this dear man? This story of the man, though a a parable, though a very real story, well, he said, this man went down to his house justified. How do I go? How, who are the justified? The poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are the justified. And among us here tonight, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are those poor souls who have been saved by the grace of God and kept by the grace of God. Praise God, through the finished work of Jesus Christ and His continuing ministry for us in heaven, we are the justified ones. And though we are justified, we live in humility and we recognize that the only reason why we are saved and have a song in our heart and have joy in our lives is because of the salvation that has come to us through Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to be saved? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Pastor Mike, what's the greatest way to be exalted? To be saved. There's no greater exaltation than to be saved. When you know how low you've been in your sin, to be lifted up to be so high and to be saved, what a wonderful thing. So may the Lord help us tonight to think about this blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. To the praise of the glory of His grace, the Lord Jesus is at the door. Thank you, sisters, for singing about the coming of the Lord. Yes. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Well, it's worse. It's declining These last days are hard, perilous days. Pay attention. Look at it from the reality of the things that are coming and pray, come Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank You for tonight. We thank You for the chance we've had to be in Your Word. And oh, how wonderful it is to be poor in spirit. Nothing better. Because You enrich and You bless those who are poor in spirit. You lift us up. You fill us up. You continue to bless and bless and enrich and, and give us grace upon grace and favor upon favor and mercy upon mercy. Love for You love us with endless, glorious love. How can we not say thank You? How can we not worship You? How can we not give our lives to You and follow You for all the days we have? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good to see all of you. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. And Lord willing, we'll be back together on Sunday. Say hello to somebody. If you don't know somebody, introduce yourself tonight. And uh, may the Lord bless you. Get your rain boots on. Go out there. It's called rain. What you see out there is rain. It's rain. I know you didn't know what it was.